So we've entered the season of Lent in perhaps the most unusual way that I've known. We put ashes on our own foreheads, or not, or we did that in small family gatherings rather than in the gathered corporate worship of the church. And yet here we are, and it is Lent once again. And it holds for us the same sense of obligation, but also promise that it will lead us to a place where we truly can enter the joys of resurrection. I think there are many who feel it's been a kind of Lenten season for over a year. Lockdown has brought isolation, loneliness, and disconnection in ways that are unparalleled. I mean, if Lent is measured in what we give up, and I don't think it really is, But if so, then we've been in a year of Lent where we've given up each other. That will have long-lasting implications, I fear. Perhaps we've saved ourselves from the virus, but there will be many other kinds of illness, social and otherwise, that will dog our steps for a long time. So I get it when people say, Lent? I'm totally over that. I've been in that. I'm not really interested. Yet I believe, I do believe that in this liturgical season, this year, we can be led to new places of renewal, that it can be a season of healing, and that it can lead us to a new and bright day of celebration and joy. I have to believe this, because the alternative is unthinkable, and it's not consonant with our Christian faith anyway, which reminds us that wilderness is not something to remain in, but to journey through. Now, you know that we've been doing this Lent thing for a long time, even if you might be new to it. Since the early days of the Christian church, those who were preparing for baptism at Easter entered a time of careful preparation. They studied, they fasted, they took on spiritual disciplines, and they did this to grow and also to express their commitment to the faith. They were like athletes preparing for the games. But they were not alone because the whole church did this with them because that's what we do. We journey together, not as individual and solitary pilgrims, but as a people. So it feels strange to walk it when we're separated. And I'm glad to, you know, we're we're having more and more people sort of here each week. That's encouraging. But most of our people still are not here. We are separated. And that's something we can lament, actually. We can say it's not supposed to be this way, and it won't always be this way. I trust we can bring that level of hopeful honesty to the many other things that we must lament as well, to say, this is not right, but it won't always be like this. Things in our world, our lives, they won't always be this way. And you know, that's the voice of faith and trust. Lent has about it a kind of heaviness. I mean, that just goes with it, right? I mean, kind of comes along, considering our sins and brokenness both personal and corporate, it requires some level of courage, I think. And it can be hard. I mean, who wants to look that closely? I have two places in my house where I never look if I can help it. Maybe you have rooms like that, I don't know. The attic, that's a place. And the basement storage area. Why don't I look there? Because they're a mess. Things have gotten out of control. I just keep like throwing stuff in there. And unusual for me, I haven't moved for 15 years. And it's just kind of, and we keep talking about, when are we going to get a dumpster and deal with that? I don't have the energy right now. 
And maybe I lack the courage. Lent leads us into the attic. Lent takes us into the basement, the foundations, if you will, of life. Lent takes us to the heart, and it gives us space and time to deal with what's there. If Lent's heavy, it's also full of life and hope. And this is something we heard today in the Bible study on Amos. That with judgment, God's judgment comes hope. So there's life and hope in Lent. And I think people often miss this. It's taking us somewhere, right? It's not letting us remain in the broken and the sinful places. It offers absolution and peace. It gives us the power of the Spirit to face into the truth about the darkness of sin. And then it gives healing in the same motion. The Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann calls Lent a bright sadness. I can remember where our time, times when our kids' bedrooms were like, when they are growing up, there was like an absolute mess. Now you know where they got it. So, I mean, there'd be toys and clothes and junk and everything. You couldn't even see the floor. And we would say, you're not doing anything till that room's cleaned up. Right? Well, sometimes they would just go to their room, shut the door, and sit in there. Not really knowing where to begin. It was overwhelming. It's kind of like my attic. It's chaos. But if I or Susan would go in and offer to help, we'd say, let's work on this together. Let's just make a start. Well, soon it would be done, right? We'd start, and then hopefully they'd jump in and help. Well, in Lent, God offers us his presence and his provision for doing the very same thing, for dealing with our stuff. He's with us on this journey and will lead us to Easter joy. Today, God says, let's just make a start and let me help you. If only we knew that he's actually already done it. It's already done. So it's interesting, we have Noah with us this year, right? When we move into Lent. And I don't usually think about Noah and Lent. But when we press in a little bit more, it makes sense. I mean, Noah was saved by God. He was saved, isolated from all the destruction going on. He was kept safe, he and his family, for 40 days and 40 nights of deluge. Only to emerge to a completely new world. And then God establishes a covenant with that new world, right? Not only with Noah, but with all of creation, every living thing. That never again would the earth be destroyed by flood. Next week, we'll read about the covenant with Abraham. The following week, the covenant with Moses. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in covenants for the next few weeks here and what we can learn from them. Because each week the lectionary leads us forward until it culminates in kind of the final and supreme covenant that we know in Jesus Christ, who offers us relationship with God like no no other covenant before. Lent is, after all, about that relationship with God, and by extension, our relationship with others. So covenant has to be a central concept. It's, It's about promises that are made and kept and renewed. It's about commitment. When you look at it, what's unique about the covenant that God outlines in Genesis 9 to Noah? I think one thing that's really unique is it's one-sided. Most covenants have kind of a mutuality, right? You do this, I'll do this, but God makes a promise on his own to all of creation. 
There's no mention of requirement for blessing. There's no mention of curses for disobedience. The integrity of this covenant rests solely on God's character and God's fidelity. Old Testament scholar Gene Tucker said, the covenant with Noah is an act of a free and gracious God in behalf of a world that did not have to ask for it or earn it or even respond to it. Other covenants, such as the one with Israel at Mount Sinai, would require some response and agreement. I will be your God, you will be my people. But here, this is God's trustworthiness on display, not dependent on anyone else. Here, God pledges, God promises that destruction will not be pursued no matter what. <clears throat> That's an amazing, it's an amazing promise, amazing reality. And then God gives a sign, a sign that all can see, but especially that God will see, the rainbow. Commentator Ryan Bonfilio points out that we might have chosen a different sign, right? I mean, if I, if I didn't want God to send floods that would destroy, my sign would be a clear sky. God, just keep it clear, then I know what's going on, right? That, then that's okay. <laughs> no, the rainbow is beautiful, it's breathtaking, but it's also a meteorological phenomenon that only occurs in the midst of or just after a rainstorm. Rain will still come. Floods will still be a fact of life. You see, God is not promising the complete absence of loss or destruction in the future. I mean, there's still evil. Noah and his family get off the boat, and they still have evil. <laughs> they bring sin forward in their hearts. But the passage here promises life after loss, hope after destruction. There is life after pandemic. There will be healing for injustice. There will be forgiveness for transgressions. Life will still feature suffering and difficulty, but it will not result in annihilation. It will not lead us to a place of hopelessness. Praise God. So we enter Lent with the assurance that God is making moves on our behalf. Often when we're not aware, and certainly when we don't deserve it. And all of the passages are about that today. I was really encouraged just hearing them read again. God's promise to Noah and all of creation. The psalmist reminder that God is compassion and love. And he shows his faithfulness through grace and righteousness. Peter's very interesting little, almost like an aside here that theologians continue to argue over. That after death, Jesus preached life to imprisoned souls. Wow. And then Jesus' announcement of the good news of God's kingdom coming near as he begins his ministry as he comes out of the wilderness. These are all words of hope and life in the midst of our struggles, reminding us that God is always calling us forward, always making our life in him possible. You know, we worry about a God who comes to judge us. When if we just knew it, we would see all along that God has put his thumb on the scales to our advantage. So it is with Lent. We have work to do. We have things to deeply lament about our own souls and about the world in which we live. But God is with us, leading us through the wilderness, showing us the things we need to take care of along the way. If we just pay attention, this is the journey we're on. N.T. Wright says that Lent is a time for discipline, for confession, 
for honesty, not because God is mean or fault-finding or finger-pointing, but because he wants us to know the joy of being cleaned out, ready for all the good things he has in store. You may say, well, I don't really feel much right now. It's been a hard year, and I'm just numb after everything that has happened and is still going on. You know, I have some of that numbness and fatigue myself. Aaron Graham is a pastor in Washington, D.C., and he addressed this in something recently that was online. He says that we may not yet feel sorrowful. That's okay. That's actually something that God does for us. God gives us the gift of lament. Through prayer, God gives us his own sorrow for these things. Our responsibility is simply to ask God to give us his heart. I mean, who knows where this Lent will lead? There's much need right now, for sure. So I know it's a journey that's timely. If we will just make a sincere commitment to walk it as well as we can, just to enter it, just to take the first steps, to step into those disciplines of prayer and devotion, fasting and giving to those in need. If we do that, just in simple ways, we will encounter the Lord. God will be with us. We'll we'll see God's presence with us. You know, Noah, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, they all had their 40-day wilderness experience. And they all resulted in transformation, in new mission, in new life. So let me offer just a, a couple of practical things for us. I would say, you know, entering a season like this, Um, can be daunting. It can feel like standing at the attic door (laughs) and saying, where do I start? Just make some small changes. Just some small changes. Small steps. Read the daily devotion that we mail to everybody. Um, You didn't even have to ask for it. Now, if you're watching and you don't have one, please ask for it, and we'll send it to you. But they're very short. It's just, but every day, if we entered into that, there would be something there, a gift for the journey. Join the weekly prayer service that we have on Wednesday evenings. Be a part of the Bible study on Amos. I think there's going to be really interesting ways that that study then leads us right into worship and where the scriptures are for a particular Sunday morning. Make a gift to the discretionary fund for someone in need. Reach out to neighbors. Pursue godly friendships with people who are different than you. Just take a few steps. And see how God will meet you and what he will bring your way. One thing we might consider is to take a fast from social media, really. I mean, in many ways, it's become an engine for division. It vilifies people that we disagree with. It makes them enemies. And I don't think it's, it's honoring. It's not godly in that way. It's also important for us to understand that Lent is not self-improvement. It's not something we do like dieting or learning a new skill or in some way trying to make myself better. It's something God does by the Spirit in us and through us for the good of the world. I mean, we could walk Lent in self-serving and self-focused ways, but that would have a tendency, I think, just to make us more prideful. (laughs) See where I got in Lent. Yeah, I had a great Lent. Man, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm muscled up for the gospel. That's, that's not the point. Growing in our love for God is always about growing in our love for others as well. Walter Brueggemann, in his little devotional guide for Lent called A Way Other Than Our Own, 
says that it's time to look right now to the good of others, about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. He puts it this way, get your mind off of yourself long enough to care. Be so concerned about the well-being of the human community that you don't have to worry about your place, your church, your class, your values, your vested interests. Freedom, in other words. It means we can lament not only our personal sin and brokenness, but the things in our world that grieve God. And hopefully will grieve us as well, and if they don't now, we'll come to know the grief around these things. Lent opens a place for us to consider and to lament and repent over things that we're seeing and that we're, we're aware of, such as racism in the world, the exploitation of people, Things like the treatment of the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, such as the wanton killing of the unborn. I mean, Lent's work is not just to make us better, but to make us new for the sake of the world that God loves. God makes covenant with us today. (laughs) In every moment, God makes covenant with us to transform us, to heal us, to make us his. And you know what? God's done the work already. We can enter the wilderness of Lent knowing that God is already there waiting for us and will lead us through to the other side, and we will be changed. So if you take away one thought from this morning, I'll just give you a little cliff note thing here. Just really there's one thought here. Let it be this. As much as we desire to flourish in our lives, as much as we want to know joy and freedom, as much as we want to know community that is whole, as much as we desire to have the divisions of the world healed, God desires it more. God desires it more. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.